0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. We're going to continue this week in our sermon series called Roots. and uh, In this series, we're exploring the core values of Love City Church. Uh, And some of you may ask, it's a very reasonable question, uh, what are core values, okay? Well, they're different, Uh, they're different than our vision. Our vision is our goal, our vision is the the high mark, it's what we're going for, it's what we want to see accomplished, and our vision is to see as many people as possible meet, love, and worship Jesus. That's our vision at Love City Church. It's all about Jesus. We want people to meet Jesus because we believe that when people meet Jesus, if they're broken, they'll be fixed. We believe if if they meet Jesus, if they're hurting, then that hurt is going to be healed. If they're empty, they're going to be filled. If they have a need, Jesus is going to meet that. But more importantly than that person being healed or fixed, their needs met, is that every single one of us was made to serve the God who created us all. And Jesus is the bridge between sinful humanity uh, and the God that made us. And so that's why we want to get people introduced to King Jesus. That is our vision uh, our core values are also different from our mission. Our mission is the way that we believe we're going to accomplish uh, the vision. And our mission is to love God and love people and make disciples. So we want to see people meet Jesus. We believe that's going to happen if God's people both love God first in response to his love for us, love people, and then uh, make disciples. Core values differing from mission and vision, really what they do, they function like the DNA uh, of an organization um, DNA. I'm going to nerd out on you for a second, okay? So don't check out on me. This will be fun. Um, DNA is it's it stands for deoxyribonucleic acid, okay? And some of you know more about it than others. It's it's a molecular blueprint for living things. That's what DNA is. Super interesting. Um, DNA is embedded in the nucleus of of every cell. Uh, it provides the information that determines how to build the living thing, right? So DNA are these long strands of information. It's in the nucleus of of every living cell. And what it does is it provides information to determine what that organism is going to be. So whether you end up with a tree or a puppy or a human, DNA dictates that. It has the information encoded at the very basic building blocks of life that ends up determining what the organism is going to be. Uh, My great hope was, as as I waded out into some scientific jargon, if I said puppy midstream, that I would pull some of you back. I know puppies are a big deal, and uh, and those make us happy, so I hope that worked. Uh, Another way to say it is that DNA determines what something will be, more simply than what I said before. DNA has a determining power over what an organism will be. Our core values are like that. Uh, They are the principles along with the vision and mission that are the blueprint for everything we do as Love City Church. Okay? Is that all right? Everyone understand that? That's why it's important to know what these are, uh, because these are the driving force behind what we do. Uh, A side note, even a basic understanding, this is totally off of core values, back to DNA, but not for long, don't be scared. A basic understanding of the way DNA works, if you didn't track with what I just said, I would encourage you, um, there's videos on YouTube, like, almost meant for kids that could help you understand uh, what DNA does. It, It really, it's good to understand that because it really bolsters the belief that somebody created us that's more intelligent than we are. If you understand how DNA works, it just, there's... I guess if you just have an a absolute um, incredible uh, determination to have an atheistic viewpoint, you could try to explain it away, but there, there's just, when you look at the way biology happens, it, even at the most basic level, it just screams, somebody made this. <laughs> and it, it bolsters the belief that um, somebody smarter than us made us. Um, We understand the chemical processes surrounding DNA, but we still can't explain how uh, there's information encoded in cells all the way down to the molecular level, and that the strands of DNA, they are equivalent, so coiled up inside a cell, and you guys remember at least this from like life science, that was the easiest one in high school, right? Cells are the, I mean, it's small, it's the building block of life. So even way smaller than that, down at the molecular level, woven like spaghetti inside of a... See, I mentioned food. Some of you, I saw your eyes light up. He's like, Science, science, science. Spaghetti. What? 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 I'm here. Right? So, and I almost, almost fell. I don't know what happened. Um, maybe I'm hungry. So, but th- that strand, literally, the information contained in just one strand of DNA, it's equivalent to, to millions of letters. And that's a sequence that comes together that determines how the proteins go together that ends up determining what that organism is. I, listen, I'm not real smart, but man sure seems like somebody was involved in that where did all that information come from all the way down at the most basic level Um, you know and of course it can get weird And there's other ulterior uh, or you know uh, alternative theories but um, I just think understanding science even at the most basic level really it points to God so I'm sorry that I geeked out on you for a minute I I honestly am Uh, I can tell that you did not enjoy that as much as I did but uh, I had fun so you know what Praise the Lord. I have the microphone. Um, And relax. There won't be a quiz, okay? So you won't, I'm not expecting you to know any of that. Uh, It's just really, it's astounding to me how blatantly obvious that the fingerprints of God are in his creation. Um, And and Romans 1 tells us that, doesn't it? That the the evidence of God's incredibly powerful nature, it's evident if you just look around. And so uh, I'm just glad to be a Christian today. Glad to know the truth about him. Uh, Last week, we discussed our first core value, uh, and it's the one from which all others flow. And that core value is that we are gospel-centered in everything. Uh, The gospel is the good news about Jesus, and without it, the church at large would have no reason to exist. And so it's pretty important. And that was our springboard. Um, And this week, we're going to cover our next core value. uh, And as we do that, would you turn with me to uh, the book of John, chapter 8? And we're going to start in verse 1. Take a little different approach tonight to this subject than we have in the past. Um, Book of John, chapter 8, verse 1. We're going to cover our next core value, and uh, that is that here at Love City, we believe that God has called us to redefine love to the culture. So uh, core value number one is that we're gospel-centered in everything. Core value number two, we believe that God's called us to redefine love to the culture. Um, We're going to read together John chapter 8, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll carry on with uh, this core value. Chapter 8, verse 1, book of John, here we go. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning... He came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman, caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery, in the very act. Now when the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women, what then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who, is out without, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. Amen. First thing we got to know is, you're the woman caught in adultery, and so am I. Right? Our sins are different, but um, we've all been, we've all had that experience of grace with Jesus if we've put faith in him. Um, also a matter of curiosity, and you know, it gets a little scary. When people start saying, "I'm going to ask God this question when I get to heaven," because most of the time it's got like this prideful, he did, you know, he uh, he owes me an answer type of attitude, which he doesn't. Um, I just I want to know what Jesus was writing on the ground, don't you? What was he writing on the ground? Was it like all the stuff he wished he could say out loud to those guys um, that just. <laughs> He knew if he said it out loud, it would make the scriptures and like so. He just had to, okay, I'm gonna just, we'll write this on the ground. Um, I don't know, he may have been venting there. I mean, if you notice, Jesus stayed pretty frustrated with religious people that thought they were better than everyone else. You see, consistently through the scriptures, broken people, uh, sinful people that knew they were broken and sinful, Jesus had a lot of compassion for them. And you see, consistently, people that thought they had it all together and they, they were, um, you know, better than everyone else and, and they were the religious types. Jesus said stuff to them like, you guys are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. So those are that's a good thing for us to remember. <laughs> that doesn't mean go and sin, therefore grace can abound all the more, right? Paul told us that. We don't go be wretched on purpose, but definitely don't slide over the other side and start thinking you got it all together. I, I want to stay as far away from that as I can. I want to stay humble and fully reliant upon Jesus and his grace, every day, all day. Amen, or am I alone on that one? Good. Awesome. Okay, so... Um, you may be wondering, did I read the wrong verse? Aren't we talking about re- redefining love to the culture? I'll just say to you, no, hold on for a second. We'll get there and it'll make sense. We're going to come at this from a little different angle than we have in the past. Um, you could ask the question, what does it mean to redefine love to the culture? Well, first of all, we believe that God is the one who spoke and created all things. And that he then gives all things their definition. So when we as humans begin to think uh, we have a better or updated version of a definition for something, it's normally out of pride or stupidity or both. If God has defined something, he does not need our help uh, because we're modern man and we have the internet to come help him define it better. Uh, God is the one who spoke and created all things. When you're let there be light guy and let there be this and let there be this other thing and stuff just out of nothing starts to exist you get to define everything, right? Everyone cool with that? I mean, the rest of the premise of what we're going to talk about doesn't make much sense. There is a definition for love. Where does it come from? Webster, Miriam? Normally, they do a good job. I'm with them. I was a nerd in seventh grade, and I, went, I made it all the way to the Whiteside County Spelling Bee, so I spent some time with Miriam and Webster, and we were bros, and it was cool. But when it comes to certain things, they've strayed away from what God would say about it, and that's foolish, okay? Okay? tell you're excited about that. Good. Uh, I know some of the line of thinking that we're, we're going to work through tonight may sound familiar because the truth about love is laid out beautifully for us in the book of 1 John, which we just finished. Uh, however, there are so many facets to the task of redefining love to our culture through the scriptures that we honestly could talk about it for years and not exhaust it. In um, thinking through this series, I, I, I seriously contemplated not dealing with this core value because it was so vibrantly dealt with just in reading through the book of 1 John. Uh, love is, is dealt with, I think, in, in some of the most complete and, and beautiful terms within the book of 1 John, and so we talked a lot about that there. However, um, as I was heading towards that way, I just really felt the Holy Spirit kind of convict me and ask me if I believe what I really say I believe about how important understanding what love is. And so even at the risk of somebody feeling like maybe they've heard something before and checking out on me, I think it's important to explore uh, this yet another facet of the importance of people understanding what God means when he says love. Okay? Um, Can God emphasize something too much? Could God overdo something? The the answer is no. Uh, Some of you were quick on that. Some of you thought it it was a a trick question. Here's the thing, we believe God is perfect and we believe the word is perfect and so if the word of God talks about something a whole lot, it wasn't a misstep or he just forgot he had it over here and then repeated it over here we believe the word is inerrant and authoritative and perfect and so if God talks about love a whole bunch he meant to it was intentional it was for our good and for his glory um, and I want you to just be I want you to hear me say that this is not some weird, irrelevant pet peeve or personal uh, Pastor Vince tangent. Until I read that out loud, I didn't realize how much of an alliteration it was. That was pretty good. You, you're supposed to do that on purpose. It's supposed to make you more excited about it when all the first letters line up, but there you go. It was an accident. I'm an accidental poet. Um, if First John tells us twice okay, that God is love, and if Mark 12 we see that Jesus is challenged, And they come to him with this question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And what he tells us is that you should love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And if we have Paul telling us in Romans 13 that if we will love our neighbor, we will fulfill the whole law. And if we have Peter telling us in 1 Peter 4 that above all, we should keep fervent in our love one for the other, then we have to know what love is. It's really important. I can't just gloss over that stuff and assume I understand what God means when he says love. What is God saying when he says he loves me? And just as important, what is he saying when he tells me I need to love you, my wife, my kids, my friends, my coworkers, and my enemies? What am I being called to? It's a good question, Pastor Vince. Thank you. For, I mean, I've worked really hard on that. I'm glad you noticed. Not only is it emphasized time and again throughout the Scripture uh, this question of what love is, but it is on the mind of our culture. Okay, so sometimes what happens when we we try to preach the Bible is, well, you know, sometimes we get into this, like, subculture Christianese bubble where, like, the stuff that we think is important, like, nobody outside of the Christian faith cares about, right? And so we start answering questions that nobody's asking, and that's when you can fall into this kind of irrelevant pit where, you're not very helpful. God calls us to a time and to a place, to a people with a mission to tell them about Jesus. So part of what we do as good missionaries is we figure out what are the questions that people are asking around us. And so I realize I could stand up here, you know, and and every other week at least end up weaving the importance of of the call of God for us to love each other and to love him. And and that could get to this point where it's just this this personal deal that I think is real important and maybe nobody else really cares about it. Here's what you need to know, though consistently, when you type just the two words, what is, into the Google search bar. Everyone, everyone familiar with Google? Yeah, I've been there. Okay, so Google, you type that in, what is, so what happens is it has, and this is kind of scary, it's got predictive abilities. Google will begin to try to predict what that last thing is that you're going to put in. So you put in what is, uh, consistently for the last three or four years, I've seen the top question is, what is my IP address, okay? I don't know why we're so confused about that. I don't think that's that confusing. I'm not a tech whiz, but uh, okay. People need to know what their IP address is. That, that is burning upon the minds of the people. Also, consistently, you will see within the top 10, of all the questions that people are asking, you will see what is love come up in that predictive, and the, the way that that whole list is is filled by Google is based on the popularity of how often that phrase is typed in by somebody. In 2012, the most popular phrase typed in to Google overall was, what is love? It's on the mind of our culture. This isn't just a weird thing that we come in here and yay, rah, rah each other about. This is something we need to know and understand. This is a question people are actually asking. So that means it's an answer. If we want to relate Jesus to them, it's an answer we need to have. This also tells me that as the church, we are in much more danger of underemphasizing love than we are overemphasizing it. We should be so marked by and known for love as Christians that if somebody wants to know what it is, they should find the closest Christian and ask them. Instead, they're consulting Google for answers to this deep mystery. I would hope that, I, I can't control everywhere else, but I would hope that this group of people. That Love City Church would be so known for the love of God in their lives that when people they know start to ponder what really is love, that the first thing they would do is pick up the phone or run over to your house to find out, man, what what does God say about what love is? To me, it's tragic that Google has become the place to get that answer. Um, And here's the thing, it's even more, I'm going to make it, if you don't care yet, you're going to care in a minute. What do they find when they go to Google to find the answer to what love is? It varies uh, from probably month to month, but I checked today. I went and checked today. Okay, here's what somebody that types in, what is love in Google? Here's what they're going to find. <sighs> um, I feel my blood pressure going up. Um, there's two ads at the top, right? So on, on a Google page, somebody can pay to have their their, uh, their search results come all the way to the top. So there's two things at the top somebody's paid to put there when somebody types it. Because somebody was smarter than us. I don't, why aren't we paying to be on the top of the Google page, first of all, with a good Bible-based answer on what love is? I'm a little frustrated about this. Hallelujah, glory. Um, but here's who did. Here's was, here was who was to do that. Somebody called Meditation New Mexico. Okay, first of all, I, I, only God knows, right? So they're going to teach you how to meditate your way to better love. Somebody is is desperate to have this question answered that God has clearly answered in his word, they're going to go to Google, and Meditation New Mexico is going to be their first option to get an answer to what love is. Then, the next person that paid for an ad is somebody, a a Sufi master, that's going to um, explain to you uh, the truth about what love is. If you're not familiar with what Sufism is, I know most of us aren't, Sufism is the mystical branch uh, of Islam. Perfect. Then on down you have an article from The Guardian titled, Five Theories on the Greatest Emotion of All. These are the answers that folks in our culture are going to find when they go to look and see what is love. If God is love, and if 1 John 3.16 tells us that our best shot at understanding love is to look at the cross of Christ... Then love cannot be an emotion. Do you understand that? I, I don't want to just keep saying it, but I will until I think that we get it. If God is love, it can't just be an emotion. Does that make sense? Everyone at least come that far with me? It's got to be more than that. And if 1 John 3:16 tells us the best chance you have, human being, with your finite mind to understand something as deep and beautiful as the love of God is to look at the cross of Christ, it's gotta be more than an emotion, a feeling, an affection. Or whatever other weak, uh, under-informed answers we tend to give. It can't even be the greatest of emotions. It can't even be the deepest of affections. It has to be more. So what is it then? What is love? What is it that we believe we're called to convince the culture that love is? If it's not just an emotion. If it's not these other things. Um... And it may seem pretentious of me to attempt this when so many other greater minds than mine have struggled with it. Uh, But I believe that most of the struggle comes because they don't go to the very source of love to find the answer of what it is. That's where confusion comes in and it starts to get blended together and and God is not the God of confusion. And so um, I'm going to give you a short definition that I think is is biblical and accurate. Um, I would minimally like you to know this one. I know often that I'm not, I'm not pushing you towards memorization, because I realize that feels too much like school, and, um, you know, many of you put your last book down when you got your diploma and said, you know, <laughs> I'm done reading, okay? Uh, I don't think that's a good plan, but hallelujah. I know some of you don't like anything that looks like school, but bottom line is, um, we should read the Word, period, but also, um, we need to remember some stuff, and... I want you to be ready to answer this question for somebody, that if God would send somebody to you to get an answer of what love is instead of to Google, I would hope, I hope and pray that we'd have something better for them than some mumbo-jumbo-like Meditation New Mexico would give them. Okay? And I may get a letter from Meditation New Mexico. I don't know. This is going on the Internet. They may not be happy, but I'm not happy. I'm not happy that they're defining love. They don't know what it is. If they're not going to take somebody to Jesus and his cross to define love, if they're going to try to take someone through meditation into themselves to discover what love is, they will not find the right answer. And there is one. And it's real important that we get it. Okay, so here's the short definition. I'll give you you the rest of it. You can write down and remember the whole thing if you'd like. What, what is the short answer to what is love? Love is a divine attribute. I want you to minimally know that. Love is a divine attribute. Now, the rest of this definition will... If, if you're not real familiar with those two words together, it'll give you a little bit more understanding. Love is a divine attribute. It is a part of the very nature and character of God that we can share in, though imperfectly, because of sin. So the fact that love is a divine attribute, what that means is that love is a part of the very character and nature of God. For some reason... Because it's true, John felt compelled to say God is love. Like that that, that gets so deep so fast that, that we can't hope to keep up. So we, we try to take it in little bits and we try to understand all of what the scriptures tell us about what love is. We see that the cross of Christ is a great image for us. It's an example for us to try to understand what love is. Uh, but clearly it is a, is a part of the very nature and character of God. And, and we get to share in it as his image bearers, but we share it imperfectly because of sin. I can't love perfectly. Always somewhere mixed a little bit into the way I love my kids or my wife or love you, there's going to be th- this temptation for selfishness or, 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 or some other sin. God loves us perfectly. He has no motive other than his love for us. That's beautiful. That's encouraging. God is the source of love and thus cannot be defined outside of him. God is the source of love and thus love cannot be defined outside of him. It is not just chemical reactions. It's not an emotion. It's not sexuality. Literally, go ahead today. Go home and type in what is love in Google. Read the Guardian article. You guys think I make this stuff up. Here's the prevailing emotions. I wish I could, I wish I could make up stuff, like the, the number one answer on Google is meditation New Mexico for, that's gonna, and, and some Sufi master. I wish I was making that up. I promise, because it's tragic. The God of the universe, the one who is the very source of all love, whose very character is defined by love, he gets to define it. So it's not just sexuality, it's not an emotion, Go through that Guardian article I told you about. That's what you're going to see. You're going to see, here's the prevailing theories. And then they got a nun at the bottom with, I mean, that was the best one, but it still fell short. It's a part of God's very nature, and it's manifested in selflessness, humility, and sacrifice. Let's go back to John 8. How does John 8 have anything to do with redefining love to the culture? What does this story about how Jesus deals with this sinful woman, how does that teach us an important principle about redefining love to this culture today? It has to do with one of the more prevalent misconceptions that has risen about love, uh, and, and recently another word that has been misconstrued for love. And many people think today that tolerance is the highest form of love. That tolerance is the highest form of love. I'm going to say something, and (laughs) this is just a good way to kick off this discussion. They're wrong. Some of you don't like that I said that, because some of you have been trained that it's wrong for me to say that someone's wrong. How dare you? How dare you say they're wrong? If I was just a product of this culture, you'd be right. But I, I serve a God who, his opinion is right. And if someone else believes something different than his opinion, they're wrong. I'm a Bible man, and and I want us to never, ever not be loving about it, but I want us to quit being apologetic for being Bible people, for believing that this God is right, and that all those that oppose him are wrong. They're wrong. You all right with that? You happy about it? God's right. Let's say it that way first. Smile at me when I say God's right. Are you happy God's right? I'm happy God's right. But that means somebody's wrong. Because there are those that disagree with him. Right? Right? Many people think today that tolerance is the highest form of love. They're not right. Tolerance is a cheap counterfeit for love. Tolerance has become a buzzword in the last few years and has quickly climbed to the top of most people's list of moral virtues. Tolerance is characterized by an extreme unwillingness to stand for objective truth. The end road for tolerance is that there is no right or wrong, that every person decides that for themselves, and anybody who disagrees with that personal interpretation of morality is intolerant and thus unloving. Because what they've tried to do is take the word love and weave it together with the word tolerant and make them the same thing. They're not. They're not the same thing. Let's learn the difference between love and tolerance from Jesus. I'll just ask you this question. We need to make sure we stay on Jesus' side when we go into this. Was Jesus loving? Not a trick question. Was Jesus loving? Clearly. The most loving. Always. He's our example. Yes, Jesus was loving. So let's see if he's also tolerant by today's standard. I'm going to read these verses to you again. Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again into the temple, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having sent her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. Interesting that the older ones realized first. That they were not without sin. For you younger ones, I just want you to pay attention to that. See, little details like that matter. Um, those of us that are younger and think we all ha- we have it all figured out, sometimes what we need to do is be quiet and listen to someone older than us. I mean, if you're young, say amen. amen. See, what I want to do is just see across the whole congregation who thought they were young too. I think some of you folks were teetering on the line, maybe that to say Amen, but I'm not going to say anything to you about it. So, moving on. Um, so, yeah, that happened, and then uh, and he was left alone, and then the woman where she was in the center of the court, straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on sin no more. Okay, I want to ask you again. Is this response from Jesus, loving? Oh, man, are you kidding me? Man, that's loving. Undeserved, merciful love and the law said she should have been done for. Jesus loved her. Is this response from Jesus tolerant by today's everybody gets to decide for themselves what's right or wrong standards? It was not tolerant because even though even though he did not jump in and say, "Yeah, get her. She's an adulteress, let's stone her." Even though he didn't do that, at the end we we see He does extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to her, but he does that with a command. He's willing to say that the way she's been living, the behavior she's been engaging in, is wrong. He's willing to call sin, sin, isn't he? He said, where where are they all at? No one condemned you? No one, Lord. Then go, but sin no more. It's the difference between tolerance and love. And loves better love's better because you get you get into this hyper tolerance mode, and it's just everybody's in their own bubble, and, and in my world I'm king, and and nobody can come into my bubble and tell me anything different and then what what, what we want people to be convinced of is that you know if if that person in, in you know they're in their happy bubble they're they're rolling towards a cliff, and they don't know it that you know. The best thing I should do is just leave them alone because I don't want to offend them. I mean, they, they clearly think that the way they're going is the right way to go, and so who am I to come in and judge their sense of direction? That's stupid. It's an extreme example, but that's what we do. I, I believe this Bible, and so I believe that if somebody is in a, a, a sin, if somebody is living a lifestyle of sin, if somebody is disobedient to God, that that's going to hurt them. I believe what the Bible says, that sin leads to death, that sin leads to pain, that sin leads to separation from God, and that connection to God is what men were made for. And so for me to step in and say, I love you, but you've got to stop what you're doing. That may be intolerant by today's standards, but don't try to tell me that's not loving. It's the most loving thing I can do. Whether they agree or not. I believe the Bible. I'm not sorry about it. It is true. Jesus loves her and encourages her and accepts her, but he also tells her to go and sin no more. Now folks can call us stupid for believing the Bible and, and for trying to get them from turn, turning to sin and to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. They can call us stupid for that if they want to. But don't ever let them call you unloving for that. If they want to call us dumb, that's that's fine, but look if if we're dumb for believing the Bible, then then that's a separate issue. But it what would be very unloving for me is to believe that that men and women are eternal souls, really, that they're that they're a that there is spirit with a body, not the other way around, and that eternity is forever, it'd be very unloving for me to believe that and believe that there's a heaven with God and a, a hell without him and for me to not do everything I possibly could to stand in the way of someone headed to an eternity without God and not say to them, turn from sin and trust in Jesus. That would be the most unloving thing I could do, even if it's intolerant of whatever their perception or perspective is you see that? Do you believe that? I need you to believe that. I need you to see that that's true. And loving is better than tolerant. It matters where it matters most, and that's in eternity. One of the most loving things you can do is tell someone the truth, knowing that they probably won't like it. Now, we need to know this principle on the telling end and on the hearing end. Just in general, one of the most loving things someone can do, that you can do or can be done for you, is for someone to tell the truth even though they know the person that's about to hear it probably won't like it. Why? Because conflict's not fun. I mean, there's a half percent of the population of us that thrive on conflict and we're weird and that doesn't, you know, notice I'm using inclusive language because I'm probably in that, but bar those of us that are freaks, for the rest of people, confrontation is not fun. And so, to go into a situation knowing that what I'm about to say is probably going to tick this person off, they're having to overcome their own sense of personal comfort. uh, The fact that I I really don't want to get in an argument with you about this, the fact that I'm hearing a message from media and everywhere else every single day that tells me that me about to disagree with you is intolerant and that's going to make me a bad person. They have to overcome all that to come to you and say, I'm concerned about what you're doing, I'm concerned about this thing I heard you say. I think you may not be obeying Jesus with this certain action. If somebody comes to you and says that, please, 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 Christian, be humble. Please understand that it, it's it's more, even if they're wrong, it's more loving for them to come to you and challenge you than it would be to just let you go. That's what That's what real family needs to do. I sure hope, I sure hope that somebody in here would have the guts, if I showed up on a on a Sunday night, and, and, and came in and had my, my new girlfriend sit with me uh, instead of my wife, "I hope one of you brothers would have the backbone to come say, "Uh bro, what you're doing there could cause some pain in your life." And if I don't answer the wrong way on that one, let me just give you permission. Get enough dudes to do something physical to me <laughs> till I start talking right, OK? Good. I saw Jason pointer in the back. Yeah, I think he, he's witnessing with that. He's, that's good. We've got enough brothers now. We're growing. We've got enough brothers here now. I think you guys could, could handle it. So praise, praise God. But you see what I'm saying? You should want that in your life. First of all, you may disagree with what somebody comes and challenges you on, but your heart should be soft just because they came and did it. Our, our default mode is to get hard. Our default mode is who do you think you are? You think you're better than me? How are you going to come and judge me? Man, would you throw that away? That ignorant old foolish talk? If somebody loves you, man, they're going to come and challenge you. Even if they're wrong, maybe they're off you know what, praise God, it's, it's, so, it's good to stop and check. It's good to have that conversation with them. Maybe they misjudged a motive or, or, or whatever. Then you get to talk about it. Then you get to love each other and keep marching forward. Amen? Amen. I want somebody if they're concerned. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we all now become, you know, Inspector Gadget with a magnifying glass trying to run around and find stuff in each other's lives. I'm just saying let's have the guts to love somebody enough to say something if they're in trouble. Right? Amen. Love is better than tolerance. All day, every day. We need to we need to have we need to have the, the, the fortitude to be loving and telling somebody something hard, and we need to be loving and humble in the hearing of something hard. And most of us don't do good with the latter, let's just be honest. Further distinctions between tolerance and love. To tolerate someone is to merely passively accept someone. To love someone is to aggressively pursue the best for them, often at great personal cost. You see the difference there? I can tolerate you and just kind of passively leave you alone. Love is going to cause me to pursue the best for you, even if that costs me something. We are not going to succeed in the mission God has given us if we buy into this deception that tolerance is the highest form of love. We will not succeed if we merely tolerate those who believe differently than us or even those who are opposed to us. We have to do more than tolerate them. We have to love them. Do you see that? It's not good enough to accept what this culture has deemed the highest moral value or virtue. Tolerance is not enough. I need to love you. I need to love the person that doesn't know Jesus. I need to love the person that thinks that they're just fine without him. I need to love the person that's basically morally good or better than someone else they know and so they think based on that that they're going to be okay when eternity comes. I can't just tolerate their alternative lifestyle or alternative set of choices. I need to love them, which means pursue into that even if that means I'm going to be rejected by them. Amen? Amen. We have to pursue them for reconciliation with the God who made them through Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. We must be willing to tell them that there is one God. That that can seem so trivial and obvious to a group full of Christians. But I need you to understand that that is in many ways highly offensive to say outside of here. But you need to be willing to say it's loving to tell somebody there's one God, because there is. And there's one way to please him, and that is by putting faith in the perfect life of Jesus and his substitutionary death and his triumphant resurrection. Many will be offended that you presume to know the one way to God. But the reason you presume that is because these scriptures are the only way we have to know what it is God thinks about anything. And what he's made clear in these scriptures is that no man is going to earn himself a spot in eternity next to God in relationship with him. Nobody's going to fix the sin problem in and of themselves. That what they need to do is come and humbly admit that they are imperfect and in desperate need of the reconciling power of the gospel through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And we need to be willing to say that. Even if it means initial rejection. Even if it means that they decide we're stupid or backward. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if that means their opinion of me changes. i got to love them beyond caring about my own image. (laughs) And as the Holy Spirit comes behind that boldness and that love and begins to water those seeds that are planted in their heart because we do love them enough to pursue them with the gospel... We'll see more people come to Christ. I need you to be bold in love, Love City. I need you to care about this more than your schedule and your convenience. Because oftentimes those things push out opportunities to stop and let somebody know there's hope in Jesus. I know life's busy. I promise to God if anybody on this planet knows what it's like to have a full calendar, it's this man standing in front of you. And yet I also want to admit to you that my sin is often when I let that calendar dictate to me that I don't have time to stop and love somebody with the gospel. Amen? Amen. We must be willing to live and tell the gospel no matter how offensive it may be to some. It is not unloving to offend somebody. You hear me? That's not unloving. It's not unloving to be intolerant. When it's being intolerant of deception and lies from the enemy. You know, every week, as a part of our deep conviction of being gospel-centered, I I, I talk about the gospel, and I start with the bad news. It's, It's awesome to read through your membership packets, those of you that have filled those out, one of the questions is just explain to me the gospel. I want to, I want to see you write the gospel out and um, to see how so many of you, it's it's working. You understand that you couldn't really explain the gospel well without first explaining that there's a need for the gospel. And um, the, the bad news is the most offensive part of this deal. And, and so you need to know that. That's why for a long time many people have shied away from it. The bad news is that you're not good enough. Can you imagine going out of here and saying that? Imagine going out of here to your job and saying you're not good enough to go to heaven. Mm. But it's true, isn't it? If they don't have Jesus, if they have not put faith in the finished work of Christ, actually, aside, it's true for everybody. If we have or we haven't put faith in Christ, I am not good enough to go to heaven. Wow, that's potentially offensive. That's potentially intolerant. But it's really, really loving. And love trumps the other stuff. I need to be willing to let people know the bad news. The bad news is that God created everybody perfect, but we messed that up. We wanted to make our own rules. We wanted to decide. This sin has been all the way from the beginning. All of this stuff, all of this debauchery. You can look at what this downward spiral that our culture is in. You trace it all the way down to the root. It's this pride in man of wanting autonomy to be our own king, to be our own ruler, And it's sinful. And from the beginning, that's what happened. That's what Satan was able to whisper to Eve. Did God say that? Oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to die. What's going to happen is you're going to be like God. Notice that that was the thing that got her attention. Ah, equality. Ah, I won't have to be subservient to someone greater than myself. It's a sin of pride. It's always there. It's the first temptation the devil used, and he hasn't stopped yet. I didn't intend on going, you know what, man? Adultery adultery ultimately is not a sexual perversion problem, it's a pride problem. You, You think your sexual desire is more important than obeying God. That's prideful. That pornography problem, that's not ultimately a sexual perversion problem, it's ultimately a pride issue. My sexual fulfillment is more important than obeying God. And, being a part, and and I don't care so much that me getting sucked into this is going to potentially nullify my ability to be effective because I'm going to end up getting condemned about it and then I'm, I'm going to feel like I'd be a hypocrite to tell anybody about Jesus. See, it's a pride problem. We don't think about the end result. We don't think about what it is the devil's trying to do. He's trying to shut down as many Christians as he can from opening their mouths in love to tell the gospel. It's a pride problem. Pride's the mother of every other sin. But well, we got to pray against it. Look for it. Fight against it with the word. We got to be humble. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. We got to tell the bad news. The bad news is as loving as the good news. Maybe you're not convinced yet. I've tried. I've done my best. I've prayed to God the whole way here. God, please help me to convince these people that telling somebody the bad news is as loving as telling them the good news. You're not good enough to go to heaven. Every single, yeah, nobody's perfect. You're right. And that doesn't mean we all collectively get a pass because we're all imperfect. That means all of us deserve damnation. Collectively, together, yes. We're all in deep, deep trouble without Jesus. That's bad news, but that's why the good news is so good. We gotta tell them that, but then we get to, then we get to bring out the the precious jewel of the gospel. And we get to share with them its magnificent beauty. We get to tell them, yes, in and of ourselves, we'd have no hope. But that's why Jesus came. That's what the whole Christmas thing is about. That's why Jesus came born of a virgin. Because the whole thing was a setup from the jump. It was a mission. He came here on purpose. It wasn't just it wasn't an accident. God sent him on a mission to come. To be incarnate. To be born of a virgin. And then live a perfect life. Though tempted in every way that we are. Jesus was able by the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation. That allowed him to step in our place. Justice had to be done. Somebody had to pay a price. God saw fit to let perfect, sinless Jesus pay that price on our behalf. That is what we believe. And that's what the cross was about. It's not divine child abuse. People try to, they're ignorant. They don't understand what's going on. Jesus stepped in as the greatest act of love ever, there will ever be sacrifice to the greatest degree, selflessness like you'll never ever see it displayed again perfect, humble king of everything, eternal God come in the form of a man in Jesus Christ, dying in the place of the rebels and sinners that were the ones that put him there you can't make this stuff up, try to tell me that Christianity is like every other religion, find me another one <laughs> where the stories like this yeah, I know about Horus, and I know about the ancient Egyptian stuff. I know Gilgamesh had a flood. Understand something. The gospel is the difference. The fact that we love God, not, not so that he'll accept us. This is what makes... Help, let me help you understand something. Christianity is different than any other proposed religion on the planet for this one reason. Every other religion works like this. You do the right things, then you'll be rewarded with the love or acceptance of whatever deity is the head of that deal. That creates people that are motivated to be morally good because ultimately it will buy them the acceptance of whatever that greater power is. You may not get this, but it is is—it is so crucial. Here's the difference with Christianity. I obey God not so that he'll love me, but because he's loved me. It changes everything. It changes everything. I don't keep striving and wondering, have I done good enough to get him to love me yet? Have I made it in? Just Have I I got past that threshold where I've worked off all my bad stuff enough that he'll love me? I don't have to do that. I get to start with he loves me. He proved it by sending Jesus to the cross for me. I get to just believe that and receive that, and then I get to respond with obedience. I get to respond. He loved first. He doesn't demand a bunch of proof from me, and then maybe he'll... Maybe he'll let me in. That's why it's by faith. That's why it's by the work that Jesus did and never by the work that I'll do. I'm not earning my salvation by obeying him. I'm obeying him because he's been so good to me. Why wouldn't I want to? I do. I want to please him. I want to never ever one day with one thing I say, and and I know I do, but I want to repent fast I don't ever want to make him look bad. I want to make him look good. I want to point as many people as possible to this amazing love that is only found in Christ. I want to point them to this perfect father that doesn't make his kids earn their love but does everything he can through his word to assure us that we already have it and then allows us to respond to it. it. Changes everything. There's nothing else like that. Don't tell people that Christianity is just a, another, another man-made fairy tale among others. It's not. This is the truth. This is the way things really are. And though it may be offensive, it's the most loving message that could ever be told. May we never back down from the demands of true love. May we be a people so filled with the love of God, the love that he first gave us, that it will pour forth out of us so mightily that it can never be contained by popular opinion. May God be glorified as we refuse to accept cheap imitations like tolerance, and instead we stand boldly offering real love to our friends and our neighbors and our families and our enemies alike. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you, and we mean that. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. We would not have any idea what that even means without you. We wouldn't know what that means without your word. We wouldn't know what love is if we did not have the example of the cross. We see sacrifice and selflessness and all their splendor at the cross. Help us, Lord, to fix our gaze on the beautiful cross, Lord. There's so many voices in this culture. There's there's this constant pull for us to exalt tolerance and exalt acceptance of, of all and every idea above what is really loving, which is to tell as many people as possible where real hope is found, where real love is found, where purpose is found, where joy unshakable is found. God, help us to have a deeper desire for the people around us in our lives and in our the places that we work and in our families, Lord. Let us Let us not have this this cheap, half-hearted desire for them to find true joy in you, but God, I ask you to ignite a fire, not only that we would pursue you with passion for our own lives, but God, that we would have a greater passion for others, that our great desire would be for us to see them know you and walk with you and love you and serve you. We thank you, Lord God, that we can ask for this. We thank you, Lord, that uh, that you hear our prayers. We know that that's only because of Jesus. Lord, sometimes it's very easy for me to take for granted even the fact that you hear my prayers. I could begin to think somehow I'm entitled to that. Somehow I'm important enough that you should listen to me, God. I realize that without the sacrifice of Christ that day, that my, my prayers would fall to the ground. They would not reach your ears. But thank you that because of Jesus You've invited me in like your son to come and bring you my needs as trivial as they are in the grand scheme of things. Lord, you are never taxed or burdened by my needs and you want me to come and bring those to you. And Lord, I'm comforted that you already know what they are. Lord God, I ask by your Holy Spirit that you would you would bring those scriptures to every person within the sound of my voice. Lord, I, f- I-, I can tell right now by your Holy Spirit that those are, there are those in this room that feel somehow their prayers are unworthy, that they've not done enough that you should listen to them or that they've been wayward or done something to make you not love them. And, and Lord, I just ask that you would come by your Holy Spirit, wrap your, your loving arms around them. I ask you to come and, and just pour out of their heart any deception they believed about you and your character, and pour in instead the truth that you're merciful and wonderful and loving and perfect. And the way you want us to come to you is like kids coming to a good father. Thank you for these things. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church